The planet's puppet masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you've thoroughly tested every last close just That's true, Dr. Zayas. Very well. Where would we be without THC? Cause we know they're lying to us, just don't know to what degree. Yeah, where would we be without THC? The highest side chat show, Greg Carlwood Company. So say we all. From the Sunshine State, I'm Greg Carlwood, and there's very little that has shaped the human story more than the propagation of the three Abrahamic religions. Wars, inquisitions, infidels, tyrannical rule, cultural divides, oppressive teachings on how to live, disdain for the other, and yes, mass mind control. And yet the atheistic era has taken us down a path of hopelessness, anxiety, and misplaced worship of science to fill the hole. And between the extremes and the manipulated mental cul-de-sacs is room for a more accurate model of some sort of relationship between gods and man, as well as an acknowledgement of spiritual forces and dimensions that do have a role to play in this weird reality. But the planetary puppet masters of the capstone cabal have made sure that we never really have the proper context for any of this, and thus many people are left grabbing for parts of the elephant in the great cosmic darkness. Well, here to set the record straight and undo the damage done is returning guests, the Archon and the Greek, the anonymous one-two punch of propaganda-busting insight and the bright minds behind both Greekspeak.com and Godspeak.com, which both contain a series of interesting sonic events that give one more than enough to think about. In their last visit to THC, we focused mainly on the content in their Greek Speak series, but today they're coming back around to dive deep into the spiritual insights and godly knowledge contained in their God Speak series. And I'm here for it. The spiritual knowledge seeders, religious propaganda parsers, and true relationship between gods and men revealers, the Archon and the Greek, the Greek and the Archon. Welcome back, fellas. Thank you. Greetings. Yes, I am psyched to do this. You make a great team. Last time was a lot of fun. We talked about cosmic censorship, lawful timekeeping, the Pope's work schedule, the biological vacuum, proper discernment, power, and just a ton of interesting topics. And today we're going a lot more spiritual, but there is a ton of great stuff in the God Speak series, so I expect this one to be just as insightful. But how are you guys doing? How are you feeling about the state of the world? It's only been three months since we last talked, but it seems like the credits of the movie are still running, as the Greek might say. Okay, the state of the world or the world state, right? It sounds like a play on words, but I would just say, how do I feel about the world state as such? And you could take that politically governmental as deep state or underlying powers. Same old shit, man. It's not going to change until it changes, until it comes crashing down. And that's just how it goes. And it will crash down. It will implode both from Internal and external, mostly external influences. And that's how I would sum up that question without getting too verbose. There. Archon, how do you feel about things? Well, I feel much like the Greek that we're in a sort of set trajectory towards a certain destination with human society, which at least in the short term is not going to be very pleasant. I don't think that people are successively making more sense of the world. I think they're making less sense. And so inevitably that has to come to you know, a boiling point where things sort of tip over and presumably that won't be too far in the future. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's scary because you don't want to experience a true collapse of everything. But there's a lot of folks out there that feel like the only way to get the utopia or the closer to utopia model on the other side is for everything to fall apart. And we just have to cross our fingers and hope we can survive through that gap. Apparently, it's an intense thing to think about. But philosophically, so many people think that we need to go through the darkness to come back out to the light. Yeah, Greg, just before uh, we really get into the meat of things, I just I don't endorse this person I'm going to mention. He has been a guest, but he's a worthy mention to look at his work. Jason Brashears of Archaics. I've been talking a lot about eschatology, and he's come up with some things that could pretty much combine with what I've, what I've been saying through Greek speak and God speak. And again, I don't endorse him directly. You have to always listen to everything with discernment, but it's some of the best stuff that I've heard out there regarding chronology. So I would put that in quotes for chronology. And I think you've had him as a guest as well. And I just want to, you know, this is not about self-promotion or anything. This is really about objectifying and getting stuff out to the listener. So I just wanted to say that before we start. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And so estimates vary pretty wildly when you look up these kind of things, but it seems as though 3.5 billion people follow one of the three major religions. And there's no doubt they've had a huge impact on human behavior and human history. But what would you say about the creation of them as a way to control people, which seems to be the core function that they have. Exactly. All right. So we're done. We don't need to do any more. That's it. The entire, <laughs> the entire session here, the Sonic event is about that. And if you just manage what you just said about being a control issue, we're pretty much done on the talk because everything else is going to be supporting that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's simple, right? It is. It is. And to drill down on, say, one thing like the King James Bible, it's always frustrating when I have a guest who's here because they wrote a great book or they're very clued in on one specific topic, but peppered throughout the two-hour interview, they just keep going back to the well of Bible quotes or talking about Jesus. And I just roll my eyes because I don't want to go off track and derail the whole interview to dissect their religious but paradigm. You <laughs> you, you should dissect it because I call it KJV syndrome. It's contagious. So you should stop them when they start with that. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, what would you say about the King James Bible? You, you've said in the God Speaks series, it was created to drive a wedge through society and it was intentionally seated as a false paradigm. Talk to us about that for people who maybe don't see it that way yet. Very simple. The concept of political tools done by administrative bodies and any heads of state. King James, was he a king? Loosely, yes, but he was a regent from Scotland to fill in a void in the monarchy. And he knew that the monarchy was deified by the common people. So if he made a cheap, easily accessible, more accessible, non-Latin, version of what's called the scriptures that people revered that God, let's say, and the stories in there and gave it to the public, it would drive a wedge between the people's idea that the king or queen or gods, you know, or deified and show that there's a way to access information on other deities, let's say. And I'm saying that loosely, you know, all the way back to the king's right to rule from God and all that, the common people just viewed royalty as deities. So he drove that in there by actually providing a cheap 
secondary, let's say, story or uh, whatever you might call the KJV. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And if we're going to fully deconstruct before we reconstruct, I guess we should back it up to Judaism, too, because that's said to be the original monotheistic paradigm, the first of the Abrahamic religions. And obviously half the Bible is just a recycled version of the Hebrew Bible. But what do you consider some of the deeper insights into its origins and the uniqueness of its place in the big three? Many levels of it. Before we get into that, more people might be familiar with the reconstruction of Catholicism as it goes through time. And there was a big one in the 1960s and at the turn of the century. There's a reconstruction or redoing, even like with the country we live in, used to be a republic, then it became a democracy, right? And it sounds like it's just words, but it's very radical in terms of change. Monotheism would be kind of a far stretch. It's a very simple label to put on it. But actually, if you do read what's called the Old Testament, the whole thing was about getting the people to get away from worshiping other gods. So when were they really monotheistic? I don't know. They were, they're always worshiping, right? If you go to the stories, you know, the Baal Peor, you know, the Lord of the Opening, and the opening would be the female genitalia they were worshiping. Then you had the Ashtarte and other balls. And the whole entire story is about getting them to worship one god, where apparently they had a hard time doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember growing up hearing the golden calf story. And of course, one of the commandments is you should have no other idols before me. It's like, well, I thought there were no other idols. What are you talking about? This should be kind of obvious if it's a situation where there's only one apex God as the religion I was brought up in taught. So yeah, that's a curious thing. And you mentioned the deities royalty overlap. That's another thing. When we go far down chain in the history, it seems like there is a, a big connection between those two things. And oftentimes that's put in the context of like the fallen angels story, as if there was a time when angelic beings came down here, mated with humans and made offspring, which became the pharaohs and the Sumerian kings. Is there truth to that story? Or is that just, again, state propaganda of its time? Okay, let's backtrack. And if we lost connection right now, you know, if you're on a cell phone, your battery's low, and you got to give some information, just give the important information first, right? And this is the information. Let's say we were to end this right now. I'd say the gods are people. Are they normal, regular humans, you know, as we are? Let's say we, you know, the various races, which, by the way, I, in terms of race, I consider man and woman, male and female, to be the major two races, by the way, in terms of distinction, not by color, or ethnicity, and nationality. So I would say the gods are people, and they've pretty much put a story on us as such. Just like you mentioned, you know, they've gotten, they were a, an advanced society that very simply weave and in entertainment, we call them stars, right? They're like the gods, like Elvis was the god of rock, let's say back in the, right? We call them stars, right? So we, okay, the corporate we has a tendency to create various levels and hierarchies. And the highest hierarchy for anyone would be a god, wouldn't it? So if we were to end this right now, I'd say the gods are people. They're people too, but they're just very different. Let's say the gods that you mentioned from the Sumerian stories or so, they would be people that lived with a certain genetic proclivity that grew nine to 10 feet tall, which skeletons are being found all over the world, red haired, blue eyes, right? Kind of idea. So is it proper to just say the gods are simply giant humans? No. 
but I'm just giving one characteristic. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go into the characteristics. If the gods are people, what else makes up their characteristics that are different from us? They're not from here, right? I mean, they're from another dimension, a spiritual plane, right? I recently did on a private thing that I have a sign up only. This might sound like a diversion, but I want to tie it back. People say, hey, Greek, I want you to speak to this person. They're very spiritual. I mean, spiritual how? Like what? You know, like spiritual is supposed to mean good. I think I might have defined the spirit as being the mind and the personality, and the soul as the metabolism and the body as the carne, right? So if you were to walk into a room with thousands of beds and people either sleeping or in a coma, there is nothing spiritual there. The moment they start exhibiting behavior, speech, thought, interacting with each other, that is all spiritual. It's of the mind, you see. So the word spiritual has been misused in a way, technically as well. It uses the Greek prefix, the PSY, psi, uh, where you get psychology, psychotic, psychiatry. That is the mind. It's the spirit is the same. And they've reversed that when you look it up. They tell you the spirit is the soul. But I just want to go back to when you speak of a spiritual discussion, it is something that is animated by beings who are animating a certain personality or a thought form. It's basically rational animation, which you won't find that much <laughs> anymore, but, but that would be the definition and the crux of what people think of being spiritual and how I would define it. Fair. Well, when we're thinking about our interactions with the gods, if we're going to say there are many, like if the further you go back, sometimes people say the more truthful things seem to be. So if you go back beyond the Abrahamic religions, it seems like people knew there were gods for every little thing you might want that you could call upon. Was this superstition or is this closer to the real dynamics of the way the world works? Both. When you say people, again, let's go back earlier. I said the gods are people. It would, I would be more concerned of who the gods think the gods are. I'll say this, everybody, just cover your ears for a moment. Most people are too simplistic to contemplate these things. A good example would be water is H2O, right? Everybody goes there and they show this molecule. You know, no one's ever seen that molecule, and it actually doesn't exist. You don't even need elaborate scientific equipment to prove water is not H2O. Just because you put electrical plates in water and you get hydrogen off of one side and oxygen on the other doesn't mean it's H2O because no one's reduced the body of water to hydrogen and oxygen. The process stops when it gets down to a certain volume. So it's something that exhibits a trait of that and everyone takes it on. I believe uh, and I've seen through history and intuition that people are too simple to contemplate something as high order as this. And when I say people, I'm talking about 99.9999999999% of society. Fair. Well, we got to try to help them out. If we were to try to picture the true dynamics between multiple dimensions or how forces play on the material plane or the relationship between these people we call gods and humanity, help flush that out a little bit for us. Rephrase the question. How can we get a proper orientation in our minds of the dynamics between the gods and man? Okay, simple. What I've always used as a basis for that is your law comes from your God, from listening to the God speak and other things that you might have recalled that. And what I mean by your law, it's not 
traffic law or taxes or, you know, what the legal system says. Your law is basically your operating system and the programs that you run. In other words, what you eat, what you wear, how you do business, how you raise a family, how you keep time, all of these things, it was really the purpose of getting information from the gods, which also does a twofold thing. There's a discernment there. So when someone says, I follow a certain god, I'm like, what body of knowledge has that god, let's say, transmitted to you? Right? So when you hear of these gods, they're like, oh, you can do anything you want. You know, uh, if I've dealt that for, you know, it's like, well, how do I know, you know, you, we need we need guidance. Like, again, what to eat, what to wear, how to do business, how to raise a family, how to keep time, right? How to manage uh, our environment. That is the critical point of, let's say, the godlike transmittal back to humanity. Again, if you go back to the entertainment industry, those that perform the best are considered stars and even above that gods, right? Because it's the best performance. So if you're going to pick a god, look at what they're transmitting towards, you know, the society or you in terms of proper behavior or what I call lawful living. That would be the main connection. So it is cognitive. It is knowledge-based. And by the way, even if you read the version of the King James, it does tell you it's about knowledge, right? Well, do you see the gods having an effect on the material plane in terms of things like weather or our luck or our tragedies, famine, abundance, illness? Are these things coming from a source of the gods, an unseen source that in modern days really isn't acknowledged at all? Yes, I would say so. Mm -hmm. From a technological point of view, absolutely. And when we say technology, it's a matter of Let's just say you've probably heard most people are familiar with the term that if one advanced society, technologically advanced, meets a more primitive one, the more primitive one considers the advanced society's technology to be magic, mm -hmm. right? I can give a short story about a river plane that flew into the Amazon about 75 years ago, and the explorers disembarked, and they met one of the native river tribes and pulls out a Zippo lighter and he lights it, and everyone bows down. And the translator said, why are you bowing down? He says, wow, you make fire come out of your hand. It's amazing, right? So he says, tell them to show up at the river tomorrow, and we'll show them something else. At this point, they had trekked into where the inhabitants were living, and what he planned on showing them the next day is to actually fly the river plane in, right, so he can impress them. Well, they do that. They fly the river plane in, and all of the natives and the chief were standing by the river. And the moment they saw the plane land on the river, they just shrugged their shoulders and walked away. And the explorer went to the translator and said, hey, what's wrong? They bowed down when I lit the Zippo. And they see the plane and they just shrugged their shoulders. So the translator went and asked the chief. And the chief said to him basically, well, if anyone can make fire come out of their hands, of course they can fly. It's no big deal. Right? <laughs> So in other words, we consider them to be primitive, but their form of logic and reasoning is so advanced, right? You just have to impress them once and they associate the entire rest of all of your behavior as being normal. Unfortunately, I think the people in this society now want to be continuously impressed with tricks. They're not as advanced as this primitive river tribe. You see, they created a form of logic that created a terminus that made them go back to their lives, where the current society is constantly looking for new razzle-dazzle, right? That's why you have all these major events that aren't so, you know what I mean, to keep people on edge. So I just wanted to give that analogy, food for thought or thought for food. Right. Well, I mean, now we might have found a really interesting thread because when I 
asked about the influence of the gods in these different categories of life events, you said from a technological point of view, that could be true. I mean, are we saying this might be why you cited Archaics and, and Jason Brashears? Are we saying that the gods really are like literally people that are just a breakaway civilization that is using technology to affect our lives? Yes, I would suggest that the main group that we know about is here with us in this reality. There are probably other realities and say probably it's super hypothetical, just like I always bring up. Sometimes people ask, well, what do you mean? What kind of technology? Very simple. There's a crowd of people and you ask them what they want. And they all yell out, we want a time machine. And then you ask them, when do you want it? And they all yell out, irrelevant. Does it matter when a time machine is invented? No. Let's say it's invented a trillion years from now, right? A billion trillion, whatever. Is it possible that someone with that technology can come back and affect this world line, right? Doesn't matter when it was invented. And if they affect it, do they have the ability to appear and disappear and change events? And the answer to that is obvious. That's just one example. Right. Well, let's assume if they are living in this reality, where might they be living? Where might their civilization be? I'll give a short antidote to this. I was invited to go to a very special school about uh, four, almost 40 years ago now. It's above Ivy League. Uh, it's in New York City, and there are 5,000 applicants to only take 100, and it's tuition-free. I'm not going to mention its name. Very few people have heard of it, and they do very esoteric design work. I decided not to go there. And someone who did stayed in touch with me. And I said, so how's it going? He says, it's really crazy, man. We're designing airports that hover in the sky. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what? <laughs> I've never seen that. Well, they're really high up. I'm like, cool. This is 40 years ago. So I'll leave it at that. Use your imagination. I think I brought up the cosmic universal law of information is getting a piece of information to you. However you classify it is your idea. The thing is, did you get the idea, the information? What I mean by that is when science fiction is shown to you, no matter what label you put on it, fiction or fact, true or not, did you get the information, right? Let's take Star Wars, for example. Are people aware of something known or someone known as a Darth Vader or a Death Star? Yes, many people are. Now, whether you classify that as fact or fiction is irrelevant in cosmic information knowledge base. You know about something like that now, don't you? Even something like Mickey Mouse. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Is it, if it's fact or fiction, is irrelevant? Did you get the information? That's how the information on the universal concept works. Yeah, I had Diana Walsh Posolka here who wrote the book American Cosmic and was kind of trying to drill into the overlap between religion and the sci-fi UFO aliens narrative and finds that there's actually way more connective tissue than one would think. But when I asked her about her conclusions and trying to actually put them in some kind of box, she basically said, well, when you watch a movie, the internals of your brain are functioning as if what you're watching is actually happening rather than, you know, some kind of fiction. So your brain does not distinguish between fiction and nonfiction. So that was her answer to what UFOs are. It was a little bit strange, but Jacques Vallée has said that 
he thinks that we're looking at a display from something else. The UFO is not the thing. The UFO is a projection, a display from something else that's more core. And I guess you're kind of wading into that realm too. Yeah. There's a old saying that if you have a problem, it's because you're following the rules, right? For example, just an interjection, I work on some strange devices. And when I'm told in critique that goes against the laws of physics, I said, well, I never heard of those laws, so it's outside of my jurisdiction. So I actually can do it, you know, like the idea of jurisdiction, right? So there's all this stuff that we actually put a clamp and parentheses and mental parentheses that lock you in to tell you that this is not possible. Well, just to say that something is not possible is not possible. And to say that there are no absolutes, wait a second, that could be an absolute in itself. So are these paradoxes? In a sense. But if you learn to work with them and juggle these paradoxes and these little mind clamps, I call them, what does a clamp do, right? Hold something together very tightly, not just holding it together, but when you say clamping, that actually puts a lot of pressure, inward pressure, when you use that term. So not only do we have boundaries put on us from our, whatever culture you were raised or education you have, that boundary is actually more like a clamp. It squeezes and squeezes and squeezes, preventing expansion. So is it wrong to say that atheism is mostly correct if the thing we interpret as gods or interpreted as gods at a previous age, like the Egyptians or the Sumerians or the Greeks, if they're just people, is there no real, true spiritual force in the way most people would think of a spiritual force? I believe there is one. I think it's really intangible. Like, for example, let's just use fish as an analogy. Fish are so used to being in their environment, you get this really crazy fish once in a while. He comes around and he says, hey, you know what? I think we're all submerged in water. I think we're all underwater. He says, what are you talking about? Describe this water thing. Well, it's wet. What do you mean it's wet? I don't, you know, I don't know. What are you talking about? But you know what? What might be interesting is the last thing a fish realizes when right before he dies is that he's in water. And I'm using that analogy, you see, about the idea of the spiritual nature of how it relates to the environment that we're in right now. Atheism, by the way, is extremely oversimplified. Gustave Le Bon wrote a book called The Crowd, and the crux of that book is when you have an idea and you want to, let's say, transmit it to a large group of people, you have to really simplify that idea, right, when you're speaking to a large mass. But what typically happens is that idea becomes so oversimplified that it no longer resembles its original concept. That's why, like with 9-11, they say, well, okay, the official story is 19 Arab hijackers with box cutters vaporized the World Trade Center. Oh, how could they vaporize the World Trade Center? So that's not what it says. Well, tell me the official story, that that makes even more sense. You know, it doesn't. So anything you hear put out to the public is so oversimplified that it no longer resembles any initial concept. Right on. So if we're going to talk more about these gods and who or what they are, how did they get into their position? Because you're kind of saying that the right paradigm is to think of the gods as essentially like the same paradigm as a cargo cult and this kind of Wizard of Oz motif that there's this razzle-dazzle display, but there's really just a guy back there. And yeah. if that's true, how did they get to this exalted level in the human story? If we take it back to a time like the Sumerians who thought they were gods, 
how did they get to this exalted state to even play the role of gods? Again, I can oversimplify it. You could see a rapper that's got 15 Lamborghinis and 100 million in cash behind him in a video and someone in the ghetto watching that. You get my point, the contrast? It's just contrast. I think that we are at a point now where many millennia, many at least five or 6,000, that we have been subject to genetic manipulation by these other societies, that that genetic manipulation also affected our minds. Were we a lower species? To some idea. You know, you have all this stuff about human rights and how everyone is equal, but you know how it goes. Some people are more equal than others. There are still pygmy people in Asia and the continent of Africa. We're talking about people that are four foot zero and shorter, right? If you bring them into this society, it'll be very hard for them to integrate totally. There'll always be a group around them shielding them. And many people would also realize, not just because of their size, but because of internal functioning to a degree, their thinking is very different as well. This is how I would put early man just a few millennia ago. And we are all products of this genetic manipulation, which is very easy to do. By the way, when I say genetic manipulation, you don't have to be too esoteric about it. Just break out some films from the 1930s, okay? Black and white films of just people, actors or not, and start watching stuff from the 20s and 30s. And look at the people's noses, the shape of their faces, the size of their ears, the way they walk, the way they behaved. And look at now a film of current people. There's actually physical distinctions that are different. Just the influx of chemical influences, you'll notice, okay, what does he mean by that? You know, the ears are much smaller. The ear in Asian medicine represents the constitution of someone. So someone with bigger ears has a stronger constitution, right? They can tolerate more adversity, physical adversity. Now, if you look at everyone's ears, they're really, really small because the ear represents the entire body, for example. This is just a very small, let's say from a macrobiotic perspective. These are all fine details, but what is not about fine details, right? We want good audio quality when we record this, right? It doesn't matter, does it? Of course it matters. Every fine detail adds up and it's cumulative. So the cumulative addition of a group of people living on the surface met by another technologically and also physically impressive would categorize them so differently that it would be very easy to call them gods. And by the way, that term gods or dogs or whatever backwards is something that we use in English. If you actually look at the ancient texts, they were not actually directly called gods. They were called by their race. Like in the Hebrew, it would be the Elohim, right? In the Greek, the Thei, right? Or the Anu or the Apkalu, which were the hybrids. That word God doesn't really directly translate. The word God comes from an old Teutonic word meaning the sun, which where the word good comes from. Good, you know, good and God. So it's an old Teutonic word that was just chosen to represent such a thing. Hmm. So for the so-called gods for these beings in this class to be able to pull this trick off. They had to have technology that was advanced for its day. And so might we take this back to Atlantis? Were they Atlanteans or something else? Before the Atlantis, I believe. Yeah. I've also at some point espoused, you know, the stuff you normally hear about the very, very old Atlantis, which is actually can be shown to be more of the sea peoples now. I believe that technology is not something that is ever developed, it's just rediscovered. Everything has always existed, it's just its acknowledgement is what we consider discovery or invention. You see what I mean? 
Yeah. And we could use the example of the weather. In the Sumerians' day, they might try to appease certain gods to get advantageous weather or to avoid storms that obviously relates to their food production. But today, we know the elite have the ability to steer storms and create storms and do that kind of thing. So it seems like they're tiptoeing into the realm of the gods or the technology of the gods. But how does that work in an ancient sense of appeasing the gods? Like, if the gods are just people with an advanced technology, how do you make your case? I mean, typically that's done through prayer or effigies, but would the gods be aware of this even? Sure they would. It's called monitoring. For example, right now, if you have devices like the stupid rectangles around where you live and you start having talk about getting a new couch, I bet you very high percentage rate of success, you'll go to your stupid rectangle and there'll be an ad for your couch. Fair. Is that just pure randomness or are you being listened to? Right. And I'm sure you know that. So this is interesting. If I were to set up an altar and pray to my own personal pantheon of gods, I suppose, that might uh, be pegged to something like fertility Basically, the reason I might get a result, you're saying, is because they just have intense monitoring throughout this reality and they can acknowledge, oh, that guy is doing his little primitive ritual to try to appease me and I can grant him his wish or not. Great, Greg, I could say right now you're one of the people that actually got it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's so simple. You know, and we went back to the elite with the weather. Thank you very much. You know, I do weather control all the time and I actually have a media portfolio. You can go to rents.com. Just do a search on the rains come to earth. And one of the reporters there said, I heard you do weather work. It's Tuesday. Can you make it rain in LA on Thursday? It's the middle of the dry season. And I said, sure. How much do you want? There's no rain at all in the forecast. I said, okay, we'll drop an inch or so. Well, Thursday comes and he says, and the rains come to earth is the name of the second article. He says, well, I called this guy and he says he could do raining. Obviously he did. Look, it's raining like crazy. And I've done demonstrations over and over and over. In the beginning when I was working on this, I had about a hundred mile radius. Now I have about a two or 3000 mile radius of effect. And I've done hurricane abatement, made hurricanes disappear, uh, super typhoon Lekima in Japan. There was two of them. If you go to Dutch Sense. He does a lot of weird anomalous stuff, and he says uh, he has a video, Super Typhoon Lekema, and he says, look, last night there were two hurricanes approaching Japan, and something very strange, they're both disappeared by this morning. So what I'm just saying, this is so simple, and I'm being modest about this. It's not a big deal in terms of weather design. I also work on technology where I have a a pipe, and you run uh, basically a section of pipe. It's specially designed, just a pipe. You could see right through it before it's finished. You run dirty water on one side and clean water comes out on the other. What the hell is that work? I mean, that's magic, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm working on these things and very successfully at the moment. And I'm just I'm not doing websites. I'm not bragging about it. I'm trying to be humble and I keep it to myself and I share it with others who need it. And I'm not a god, but the gods are on an order of thousands or millions of times higher than what I'm saying, let's say. Like, for example, we might have someone in society that's got a nice piece, like the British say, a nice piece of kit, nice piece of high tech something, right? I assure you, there's some military group or black ops group that's got something way beyond that. 
for example, the stupid rectangles we use right now. What's a stupid rectangle anyway? Those devices, all that stuff, that's 40, 50-year-old technology. You know, It was a little bulkier also. The technology that we have, none of it has really been developed since the 1890s. And that sounds like a crazy statement, right? What you call development is miniaturization. They've been able to miniaturize all this stuff. And I'm not impressed by miniaturization. I don't think the ladies are impressed by miniaturization anyway. <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so. I like it. So when I asked where these people we think are gods might be, you mentioned that you were read in on this situation where they're building airports in the sky and there's a possibility they're in the sky. I've read Passport to Magonia, which talks about the Magonians in the sky, people seeing sky ships up there of some kind at certain periods of history. Well, another far out idea I have liked is when it's been suggested that Freemasons, they're all about angles and certain numbers. And when you look at the Freemasonic artwork, the symbols, there will be like a ladder to the sky with the sun on one side, the moon on the other side, and a window in the sky that this ladder reaches, almost suggesting rips in reality that there could be places that you can't actually access dimensional rips or something. A guy named Jacob dealt with one, right? Yeah, yeah. Is this where <laughs> they might be located? Yes, and above and below, also underground. There's a lot of stuff someone could look up, whether you believe it or not, take in the information. Busej Mountains in Romania, they found underground alien bases, supposedly, and they connect to Egypt, to Iraq, and other places in the world. And when you say underground, it's like, oh, this dingy whatever, right? Uh, no, I would suggest, have you ever seen pictures of the Mall of America or, a, or an elaborate shopping mall, right, what that looks like? Look at the robust structure of a shopping mall, like the ones in Dubai, let's say, if you want to get really elaborate. Why couldn't that be built a mile down? It very well could be. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he, in just a, one of his interviews going on his speaking tour for his presidential bid, he casually dropped that. When he was a kid, he was taken to one of these places because he's in one of the privileged families, and he was really impressed that this underground bunker was actually more like an underground city that had its own McDonald's and all the things of the surface world, and his mind was blown. But now he just drops that as if everybody knows it, and it was like, wait a second. Oh, no. He was in hell if there was a McDonald's. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was more of a Dante-ism. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's one thing that I, I don't know for sure, but I could suppose, and I, it would be very strongly accurate, that once you build something underground that goes above 300 meters or 900 feet, guess what happens? It starts to develop its own weather system. So all you have to do is paint the ceiling blue, right? And you actually have a small weather system accruing. So if you're born in a situation like that, well, you wouldn't know the difference, right? You would brought someone up from there and you described weather on the surface and they'd say, yeah, we have weather there as well. By the way, I want to suggest something. Whether you believe it in the planets or not or the shape of the earth or not, I think I might have mentioned this. When you look at the planets and they're barren on the surface, and let's say in the solar system or computer graphics that they show us, that is a mark that 90% inhabited by super advanced civilization. 
And the analogy I give is this, Greg, I just built a new house. And for the new house, I'm going to have new furniture delivered. Oh, Greg, here comes the furniture truck. Guess what? I'm going to have all the furniture on the roof because I'm going to live on the roof, right? No way. What do you think will happen? All neighbors say, look at that dumbass living on the roof, subject to weather, sun, all this other stuff. Furniture goes inside, dummy. When you have an advanced civilization, they go inside the planet, inside, under protection, you see? Mm -hmm. So now there's a flyby to the earth. Let's say you're a round ball globist. Flyby on the earth and are like, no, 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 don't go there. Don't go. These are really dumb people. <laughs> They're <laughs> on the surface. Don't go there. Right? Do you see how simple this is? Right. Yeah. I've heard this argument made before, and I think it has merit, but it's also like the joys of being outside would be denied to an inner earth civilization. We know vitamin D is very important. That comes from sunlight. You mentioned an ecosystem forming below, but they're not going to get their own sun. Believe it or not, yes, you can. For example, there was a grow room back in the days when grow rooms were not, you're a naughty boy if you did one, right? Uh, and they wanted to bring the energy inside of the sun without, because one of the things is if your electric bill quadruples, that's what they look for, right? So how do you do it without a massive electric bill? I said, great, just put some metal plates on the roof with a certain wire with metal plates on the ceiling inside and the plants will get the energy from the sun transmitted. And it's true. Even though it was almost pitch black, the plants were moving in the direction of the metal plates. So you can actually bring the sun. Here's an example. We only see a tiny percentage of the visible light and energy with our sense perceptions. Most of it goes unnoticed by us, 99%. Or if you want to be, let's say, more conservative, 80% of all the energy around us goes unseen and unnoticed by us. So 80% of the sun's energy is unnoticed by us. So if you could take that 80% and bring it into an area where there is no visible light and have the same effect, there's your, you want to talk about vitamin D? <laughs> by the way, this is provable. I've done it. So Fair enough. So when we look at cultures who have talked about the Elohim or the Naga or these races that they consider to be gods, have some of these died out? Are they all still active? Who is the most active group today that we might consider in that godlike status? Good point. Have you ever heard of the story, um, Elvis is still alive right, in the tabloids, right? <laughs> Very much any society has that. You'll have a popular figure that suddenly becomes unpopular because of something they did or said. Now, guess what they are called? They're called a demon. Oh, yeah. They're bad now, right? And then you have popular figures that are just tired of the attention and they die, but they're not really dead, right? So in other words, what I'm trying to say is the trivial machinations of human society are just echoes of what the gods are doing too. Hey, have you ever heard of someone on the surface society going to prison and being in jail and dying in jail? Hey, guess what? The gods do the same thing. Right? Have you ever heard of someone faking their death? Yes. Have you ever heard of a ritual sacrifice? Uh, Kobe Bryant helicopter. Um, did I just say Kobe Bryant helicopter? <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that, right? They do the same stuff. You know, he was chopped up in many pieces and put back together, but the penis was missing. So, I mean, come on. It's the same story, just on an elevated hierarchy. Right. Well, that is interesting to bring up mythology. Is there a better context to think about mythology rather than fiction or primitive people trying to make sense of their world? Is that really just the biography of the gods, the history of the gods? 
Yes. But again, the Gustave Le Bon, uh, the crowd, when you want to transmit a certain information to the masses, you have to simplify it. But unfortunately, the oversimplification changes the story. For example, even with academics, I've done this, talked about Greek mythology. And they'll say this and this and that. I said, well, actually, if you actually read the story, it was not so. Just like in the biblical story, I, the thing I like to bring up, I don't know what part of the segment we're in here, is if you're Christian, they bring up the Christ and the image they show is the crucifixion. Well, if you've read the story and it's cumulative, there is no crucifixion, no matter how many times they use that word, right? And the same with all of the ancient Greek philosophy. Oh, if you see Medusa, you turn to stone. No. If you read the story, it's your heart turns to stone. Big difference, right? It's like saying, hey, Greg, put the clothes in the dryer or put the clothes on the dryer. If you put the clothes on the dryer, <laughs> but it sounds the same. You can't say that, Greek. It's the same thing. No, it's not. No, words matter. Yeah, you got to be specific. So let me bring the Archon in here for a minute. You have gone through all this with the Greek before. I'm still wrapping my head around things in real time as we're going. But how has the Greeks' work or knowledge in this area affected your spiritual beliefs or how you can figure all this in your head? Well, it's been very useful for being able to objectify any topic or subject matter pertaining to the supernatural or the spiritual. I, like many people, came up in an environment where certain things were foisted upon me as far as knowledge and religions and thankfully was able to unpack that a little better thanks to the conversations having been had with the Greek and also the work that we've done on the Godspeak front. So yeah, it's been very helpful from that perspective. There's still a lot of work to be done because I think that ultimately these things can't be completely unpacked until they are shown to you or given to you, let's say, by people that have a higher vantage point. There's only so much that you can come to by way of your own rationale because I think that kind of pertaining to what we were saying earlier, the influence of the gods has always been present in society, and it continues to be. But what they do is that they block knowledge of themselves, as has been done through things like mainstream religion, so that their presence is covert rather than overt. But that doesn't mean that they're not there. We can't say that society is secular when so many of our institutions and cultural artifacts are named after ancient gods like Nike or Mazda or whatnot. So, you know, that's fairly obvious. But the only reason that some people know anything about the gods is because the gods wanted it to be known or required them to know in the first place. So it can be a conundrum to uncover things on your own that are concrete outside of mainstream religion because it's revealed selectively. So I have to sort of wade through that process, even though getting access to this information through the Greek has expedited some of that. Fair. It seems like, yeah, when you mention terms like supernatural or spiritual or paranormal, there is none of that. It's just all essentially technological, and they just fool us into putting it in these other categories. And when you say that it has to be given to you, like using the Wizard of Oz analogy, you can speculate that this thing you're seeing might be manipulated or more stagecraft than reality, but you got to pull back that curtain to really verify it. Is there a way that people out there listening that think this makes sense, is there a way they can pull back the curtain? Do they have that ability? Is there a place to go or a thing to do where they can validate these, what to them right now might be speculations? 
I think it's a challenge. Sometimes what stands in the way of people's enlightenment is their own hubris and their own folly. And that's something that's really not addressed or talked about enough. As they say, you can lead a horse to water, but not make them drink. You can show people the answers. That doesn't mean that they'll understand anything you're telling them. And I think when it comes to the gods, people discount the knowledge base about the gods because they'd rather believe in themselves as self-determined humans. And then even when they do acknowledge the supernatural, they still make it all about them and how they can channel esoteric powers or talk to demons or superhero movie stuff. So I think the Greek has mentioned before, we know as much about the gods as we do about bears, right? Sure, we can describe the habits of a bear or the characteristics. They're all observable so we can confirm their existence, but that's about it. If you want to know what a bear really is, you actually have to be one, which is a way of just saying that, again, these things have to be given to you in a very tangible way to understand. It's not just by virtue of your own cognitive reasoning that you're going to come to understand what the gods are about. Hence, what you see people doing with secret societies. They find a way to immerse themselves in that sphere, whether it's through evil doings or dealing with malevolent entities that sort of make parts of that world accessible to them. It's your own choice how you want to go about it, but you have to have some type of contact point to really get the tangible understanding. Right. That was going to be one of my questions was about secret societies and occultists. Do they have a contact point? Are these little cults and organizations and mystery school societies built around a point of contact? It would seem to be so to some extent, although it's hard to verify from the outside what's legitimate and what's not. You know, people talk about the Freemasons endlessly, but when you look at their, at least their public facing ceremonies, it always seems somewhat ridiculous the way that they congregate. And, you know, when you, you can go up to these people at their events and talk to them about what they're doing, and they'll usually say something blasé or sort of generic, which goes to show that even in that world, there's tears. And, you know, ancient older literature will talk about 33rd degree Freemason, et cetera, et cetera. I can't say personally what that means. I would assume that there is a tier somewhere where things do get into the more tangibly supernatural, but it's just hard to say from the outside looking in. It's about armies also. That's why the Catholics, for example, no abortion, no birth control, no suicide. The more people you have enlisted in your club, the more power you have. Why do you think there are millions of government employees? JP Morgan, they asked him back in the day, what do you prepare to do when the people find out the money system is based on fiction? Oh, easy. I'll just draft a bunch of checks and pay half the people to kill the other half of the people. <laughs> That's one way to go about it. <laughs> yeah, most governments want to increase how many government employees they have because if you're depending on, quote unquote, a paycheck, you're not going to rebel. The goal of any government is to get more than 50% of the population on their payroll. It's the same thing with religion and clubs and secret societies. Right. Well, let me ask you about that whole concept that the real proof, the knowledge to really be shown, I mean, we can make the claim all day, but to be shown, it really has to be given from this upper plane because there's no way for us to elevate ourselves to a state where we can prove these things. They have to be willing to pull back the curtain a little bit themselves. Is there a way to invoke such a thing? You can do it subtly. Here's a simple experiment that I do all the time, and I demonstrate it to other people. There's something called Craigslist, right? They have a free section. So just think of something you want and act as if you have it, and then go in the next two or three days to Craigslist free, and someone is giving it away. 
It's bizarre. <laughs> it works at about a rate of 70%. Very specific things will show up free on Craigslist. And you'll go find the ad and it was just put five minutes ago and you call and said, hey, I, for example, I needed a small shed of a certain variety. I needed some pallets. I needed this. I needed a water pump. And it shows up and I call and it's like, oh, I guess if you're coming now, I'll just take the ad down and I go and pick it up. Manifestation. This has nothing to do with law of attraction and all that but you can manifest things. I was going to say manifestation. So you're saying that the gods are the mechanism of manifestation. They just decide to grant a wish. Think about you have a wagon, a motorized engine-driven wagon. I don't call it an automobile because it's not autonomous, right? You have to put fuel in it, the ones we have. But you don't have any roads. So you can have as many, let's say, automobiles, right, as you want. But if you don't have any roads, you're kind of landlocked, right? What the gods are simply doing is providing the roads. They're like road maintenance. They're building the roads and connectivity, freeways, highways, small back streets, alleyways. Hmm. Does that make any sense for an analogy? It does make sense as an analogy, but I wonder why they would do that. Why they would care if I get the trailer that I want to get through a free ad on Craigslist. They <laughs> should be so high above me that they don't give a fuck about what I want or how I get it or anything about my life. Yeah, you made a really good point. Go down to Beverly Hills and ask people for money because they're wealthy. They should be loose with it, right? Most people will say, go screw yourself. But guess what? What would you say? One out of 10, one out of 20 might say, sure, I have some for you. Very similar to humans. Hmm. On the Godspeak website, towards the top, you have a scrolling Rolodex of quotes that come up through the sonic events. And one of them mentions that the gods want our attention. The question is like, well, what do they want with us? Well, if you have everything and access to everything, what would you want other than attention? But even that seems like if they are just people at a advanced, greatly advanced level, I don't see why they would be motivated by getting our attention. Okay, you phrased that very well. You don't see, but maybe they do. I'm not being an asshole. <laughs> I'm just saying you don't see it, but maybe they do. And I'm suggesting that based on just contemplation. You know, I've, I was invited to a birthday party for a billionaire once, and he's a billionaire, right, with a B. So what do you bring them? What do you, I don't do those things, but, you know, out of respect, I went. So what do you give someone that already has everything? I mean, well, a billionaire doesn't have everything, but, you know, what do you bring them? You know, a stupid tie. What do you what do you get them? So you have to get them something unusual. So I got a letter opener made from a raccoon penis bone. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who would ever think of something like that, right? So you see, it has to be something unusual that they still but you still you notice it's a letter opener, right? It still ties into something tangible that they can use. So what do the gods use? If they focus more on the energetic, well, here, let's go back to the universal concept of information. Have you ever seen a sci-fi film where these beings are so advanced, they're just basically, they don't need to eat, they don't need to do much, but they're all, they interact with the characters that are human by thought? Yeah, definitely. Okay, is that so hard to contemplate? That they would communicate through thought? Yeah, they don't have the physical needs we do, but they, but because they only exist as thought forms now. There's an old Star Trek that where they found a society so advanced, there were these luminous globes. And they just wanted to go back into a human body to experience it temporarily. 
So occasionally, have you ever heard of gods wanting to, or spiritual beings wanting to go and take control of a human body for a short time? Exorcist, hello, the movie, <laughs> you know. Remember, demons are gods that fell out of favor, right? We had a president that is demonized. He's a demon, right, to some, and he's a god to others. Oh, wait a second. Aren't there secret societies that are called Satan worshipers? To them, is that a negative entity? No. Yes. And when I went through the God Speak series and when I was preparing for this, I thought we were going to be putting the gods in a context of thought forms, that they are on a spiritual, non-physical plane and they sometimes interact with us. Maybe they pull the strings from this place, but you took me down this whole other path that they're actually just using some kind of technology to do such a thing. And so now I'm a little confused. Like it almost seems like atheism is the right paradigm because there is no spiritual plane. Is that what we're saying? Or no, there there is. It's just the variety is so great. Look at all the animal species on the you know, if I told you there's a half a million species of insects, not half a million insects, half a million species, and there's millions and billions of each one of those. There's a veritable plurality in existence, especially here on Earth. The spiritual aspect of it is of the mind. And again, when you go to atheism, this is my answer to atheists. Okay, you're an atheist, so you don't believe in God, right? I don't like that term God, though. They usually answer yes. I said, okay, then do you believe in the laws of the state? And they say, yes. Well, then the state is your God and April 1st is your holiday. In other words, it's a default back to the purpose of the gods is to what? Disseminate, transmit information on how to be, how to live. It's ontological you know, the nature of being, right? And then it goes to eschatology, which is how things end up. It's very simple. So the atheist is basically telling you they get their law from the state and that's their God. It's a default thing. And by the way, when you look at all the state buildings, don't they have a statue of a God or something on top of the dome of some kind, a goddess or right something? They know what's going on. People are very simple, but there's two types of simple. There's simple and good, and they're simple and not good. I didn't say bad. Like recently I was having a discussion with a corporate person and they want to do this type of banking. I said, no, no, I don't do that. I redeem lawful money. And I said, you know, listen, all this, I notice you're getting heated on this discussion about finances. It doesn't make you bad that you want to be corporate, but I'll tell you what, it definitely doesn't make you good either. So what does that mean? Is that a gray area? Not exactly, but can someone not be bad and also not be good? And that's the point here with the gods as well. By the way, yeah, there is a lot of writing about that the God of the Bible is responsible for more people dying than any other cause or dictator. I'm sure you've heard that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you bring up a great point about state houses, courthouses, all this stuff. There's always some kind of effigy or idol out front. Even there's one at Rockefeller Center. and you could say that the Statue of Liberty might be a veiled idol of some kind. Some say the goddess Columbia. And that's a, a big part of shows like this, trying to unpack the secret religion of the elite is how it's usually framed, that they aren't Jewish or Christian. They have a whole different paradigm. They might be worshiping Mithras or something weird like that, something more ancient and archaic. Is that a paradigm that you think is somewhat on the right track? Or are they having more of a relationship like this? Like it is just a, a couple of people that have a relationship. 
very simple is when you ask someone that is doing something why you're doing it and they don't have an answer just because, right? Is that good enough for you? And if that's good enough for you, everything's right. But if it's not good enough for you, then everything is not right. Notice I didn't say wrong. Yeah, it wouldn't be good enough for me. I would want more details as to what motivates a certain person, especially if we're talking about the level of like having a statue and certain symbols everywhere they go. There seems to be some kind of power in the symbol, some kind of power in the references to what they call the gods. All power is direction of movement. For example, if you have a Ferrari and it's just parked on the side of the road, well, some sports cars like that look like they're going 100 miles an hour standing still. You really don't know until you drive it. And when you drive it, are you driving it forward or are you driving it in reverse? But it's still direction. So power, when let's say someone pulls the lever and pulls the pin out of a grenade and counts to five or 10 and it goes off, the direction of force is from the center of the grenade outward very power, right? You see, it's power is an exhibit of direction and how fast that direction is moving. Like, for example, explosives are measured in feet per second. So if I say this thing, when it goes off, uh, high-speed chemistry is what people in the trade call it, goes off at 200 feet per second, okay, this one goes off at 7,000 feet per second. Ooh, you want to stay away from that one, right? So power is about direction. So when you see an idol, isn't that a form of direction? Well, it's caught your view, right? And then it has an effect on the mind. So whatever you're thinking about, when you when someone, most people look at things and don't acknowledge it. But if you were to point that out to someone who, what's that on top of the building there? Oh yeah, I've seen that before. I don't really know what it is. But the moment they figure out what it is, now their thought direction has changed. And that's where the power is, you see. But there's also in ritual, it's having masses of people, Super Bowl halftime, by the way. It doesn't matter if they know what's going on as long as they partake. But here's the thing. One person partaking that knows what's going on, you're going to need a thousand people partaking if they don't know what's going on to have the same amount of power. Hence, the secret society rituals. Secret society rituals are done with a group, by the way. It's a milieu of people, two or more. Sometimes it could be dozens. And those dozen people, let's say, offering to some ancient deity, let's say, have a lot more power than everyone watching the Super Bowl because they know what's going on. So again, it's direction. Is it the 200 feet per second chemical reaction or the 7,000 feet per second chemical reaction? Sure, sure. It's all about direction. I think that makes sense. And when we think about gods as thought forms, I can understand why they would want attention. Attention could be a form of currency in the mental space or energy or food to a degree, but that's different than saying that they're people manipulating us technologically. There could be both categories going on, but thought forms would have just entirely different dynamics as to what they value and how they feed or what they're interested in. Yes, yes. Again, there are so many varieties. Again, the whole purpose of the God Speak was to be contemplative and put forward rational discussion on basically what's been memorialized through history. By the way, what's been memorialized through history, whenever you see an old book or an old text that you find, you have to ask yourself, why do we have this on the surface? 
Why are they allowing us to see this? Because I will bet dollars to donuts, as they say back in New York, that if you go underground, they'll pull out a manuscript of some sort, and it'll look like it's decades old, and it's four or 5,000 years old. That's how well all knowledge has been preserved. Library of Alexandria was emptied out before it was burned twice. All the gold in the World Trade Center was emptied out using Yellow Rider vans. The Yellow Rider vans always show up, by the way, Oklahoma. Anyway, so all these things are cleared out before the disasters take place. And the disaster that we have on the surface right now is called ignorance with a capital G. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, um, I would just jump in real quick to say that, you know, if one loosely defines gods as, you know, the primary dynamic influence on this physical world, wherever that comes from, I don't think it's contradictory to say that there's an invisible spirit realm where some of those entities habitate. And there's also a breakaway civilization made up of anthropomorphic beings on this side that can mask their presence and do things like time travel. Because I think going back to what the Greeks said about, you know, when truths are revealed to you through things, whether it's movies or comics, that still counts as a reveal. And we've seen endlessly in various intellectual properties, this notion of the hybrid, what comes to mind for me, you know, something like Dragon Ball Z, the hybrid Saiyan. So, you know, these two things can exist in parallel that you have the thought forms or the thought world. And then you have some kind of embodiment on this side that interacts with that. And people going through forums like the occult to try to access that on their own. And yeah, I mean, I've also heard the Greeks say in the past that when it comes to the occult, when you ask them, you know, what are the gods behind your secret societies? Ultimately, what you come away with is understanding that whatever those gods are, they're there to compete for the people's attention and their allegiance. It's more that than anything else. It's not necessarily you become a Freemason or a Jesuit and then you conquer the world. It's more of you get absorbed into that system and that's what takes up your energy and your time. So rather than focusing on whatever, let's say, the supreme deity might be, you've got your head buried in the Kabbalah trying to uncover something. I think that's the real reveal, I think, of secret societies. Because wherever the highest truth is, I wouldn't say it's in those groups. But by getting involved in those groups, it becomes almost like a time suck. Or you could listen to God speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been really super fascinating. We're obviously getting close to the end of the road. And I just want to ask again, maybe, how people who are listening can use this information. If they have this context, we see a relationship with corporations and the elite, with the gods, and we know there might be something there, but yet we haven't really been able to identify a certain God that we think would benefit us. Maybe there is really no sense in doing that because the God doesn't care, though they do want our attention. So it starts to get a little hairy as to how this information can be used. We can avoid the false paradigms, but how do we take advantage of the correct paradigm for ourselves? Oh, wow. I can't answer that directly. I'm not going to confabulate. I can't answer that directly. It's a matter of choice, and it's a matter of what degree of time and effort you want to dedicate to educate yourself on any matter, especially this one. Fair. Well, you have found value in Yahweh and making that your chief God, and I'd assume there's a logic as to why you did that compared to others, and you mentioned the laws, but when a person's trying to make that decision for themselves, where would you, I guess, advise them to start that seeking process? Simple. The value of any God to me is what they're transmitting to you in terms of what to do as a human. 
I'm oversimplifying that statement, right? Paraphrasing that statement. So I would suggest to do what I did, not because I did it and being egocentric or anything, but when I was telling people the Bible was written by Shakespeare, that was, I don't know, it's just something I heard and was repeating. (laughs) How can I knock a movie I haven't seen, right? And I know a bad, if I can't go more than 15 minutes into a film, I'm not going to watch the rest. I'll just, I won't say it's a bad film. I'll just say I couldn't watch more than 15 minutes, right? Same thing with the Bible. Just go find out where the laws, you know, what you could be doing, what's considered lawful or set apart, and see if that jives with you. Because there is a certain jive, you know, like people ask, you know, what's your favorite color? Does it have to be blue for everyone? No. You see? So if it jives with you, guess what? Have fun. (laughs) I'm having a lot of fun and had a lot of fun with it. Fair. Well, let me ask the Archon before we go. Have you incorporated this information and distilled it down into a a personal relationship with some kind of God or gods or chief God or just use this in the way that you've decided to live your life? Well, I'm still in the process of coming to the ultimate realization of which direction to go in. I found that there's not much benefit to be had in rushing these things and trying to adopt sort of the nearest truth to you, because truth often comes in puzzle pieces anyway. And I would much rather have a more complete assemblage of pieces come together so that I can make, you know, those choices with a sort of calm mind. So I have found that what I've learned through Godspeak and from speaking with the Greek largely does conform to, you know, the closest truth that I have at the moment. But I also know that there's levels above that. And I'm sort of still doing my own strivings to get to those places. But the primacy of the biblical text as something that should be studied and should be contemplated for me has become self-evident. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Christian religion, even though it's mostly based on fallacy and improper translation of the source documents, has ultimately ruled over the major power bases of the world for the last 2,000 years. And I don't think that's by coincidence. I also don't think it's a coincidence that Islam takes a lot of its genesis from the Old Testament and sort of goes in its own direction with it. And those are obviously the two biggest religions. So there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that speaks for that being something that people should consider. I consider it quite heavily. But then you also have to build your understanding out from that. And I'm in the process still. Mm -hmm. It's hard to understand the logic and all the rules and understand where the thing might have been mistranslated and if that's even what they meant with certain things. But I agree that there's something interesting about its potency, given all the different things that have been written and all the people who have lived in the different eras, that it still has so much energy behind it. Yeah, that is in itself interesting for sure. And it sounds like you're still waiting to be courted (laughs) for the big dance by some God. I put myself in that category as well. And, you know, maybe we are our own gods, some people say. Well, I mean, the structure of the human story, regardless of where you go, whether it's Mesopotamian traditions or mainstream religion or whatever, generally tends to be the same if you really zoom out really far, that there was some type of a ideal situation at the beginning of so-called time, or at least the beginning of some chronology, and then some cataclysm occurs and people fall into the sort of history of mortality and suffering and limitation. But there's a mode of being that will eventually come to transcend that. And then ultimately, you have to decide what blueprint is the most accurate for delineating the details within that story. 
but certainly the biblical text is a good starting place. Well said. Right on. Well, again, really interesting. I appreciate the insights. Lots to ponder. Is there a next step for you guys or any other topics or categories you might tackle with a new website or links to give people before we call it in? Well, I would say that Godspeak, you know, was a follow-up effort to the Greekspeak website. Having concluded the Greekspeak podcast in 2018, I felt that we'd left certain things unexplored, you know, themes around religions, the supernatural, etc. And Greekspeak.com wasn't really the right venue to discuss that. So we did the Godspeak podcast covering a variety of topics. Unfortunately, we did fall short of the desired 10 episodes simply because things ran out of steam. But in order to not leave the entire enterprise hanging, and especially after our last appearance on your, your show, I decided to set up a Patreon to make available most of the Greeks' past recordings, not only with Godspeak and Greekspeak, but also previous internet radio shows that he was on. And so for people that have an interest in hearing things that the Greek has spoken of in the past, and also want to hear what he's talking about currently in his solo streams, you can go to patreon.com slash greekspeak with a G-R-E-E-K. We have a $25 tier there where you can get access to both the past stuff and the most current ones if you're interested to hear more. Right on. I like it. I'm sure there will be plenty of people who want to dive deeper and will hop on the Patreon. And I appreciate your time, guys. Greek, any final words? Oh, no. I just want to thank you for being a very intelligent host with great questions. <laughs> I try. It's hard. It's hard, but I'm oh, holding on. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to put it down and uh, give my brain a break. So thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day and take care. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Praise be to he, higher side chatters, the return of the Archon and the Greek. This was a weird one for me because it just seemed a little difficult to get on the same page. You know, I tend to dig deep into a body of work and try to extract the best parts and bring that to you. And when I listened to the Godspeak series, there were some interesting things in the episodes about the big three religions, but by far my favorite parts were in the first episode after the introduction titled The Ancient World which is described as a discussion on matters concerning ancient empires, lost technology, and mystery schools. Well, I loved it, and I tried to set the Greek up to get further into that material, but I guess I didn't realize how long ago that was recorded. The Archon told me that was years ago. But in it, they talk about the rise and fall of empires being united by a common god, these powerful spiritual forces welling up energy behind groups of people that pay homage. And it really painted the gods as like the directors of the human play. I would go check that out if you're looking for a little more after finishing this. But it seems like the Greeks' thoughts and positions have evolved a bit since then. And granted, when you come out of the gate citing archaics, I know we're going deep but we almost worked backwards from a deep and wild and unique place of the gods just being ancient humans manipulating us with technology to settling on Yahweh as the Greeks' chief god, which I thought was a little unexciting. I mean, we want the truth. We want people to be honest, but I also sometimes want that truth to be unexpected, outside the box, etc., etc., so the gods being advanced humans basically 
makes the Abrahamic religions cargo cults, and I'm into that. It didn't take me long to wrap my head around that unexpected perspective and go with it. It's just not exactly what I had prepared for. I wanted to get deeper into understanding the beings on the astral plane and their interactions on the physical plane. Because as the Archon finally stepped in to say, it's not either or, it seems like we're dealing with both. And that's where I would get lost at times in this. I wouldn't be sure if the Greek was speaking of ancient humans on our plane that are using manipulation to seem like something greater, or the literal beings who call the astral plane home. We seem to be bouncing back and forth quite a bit. So, I don't know, lots of interesting threads woven throughout this, but not so much overall cohesion, I guess. If you see the video clips from this episode, you might notice that I don't think I've ever referenced my outline less in an interview. I barely looked down at it at all because it just quickly became irrelevant and it was clear the direction of the interview was pretty far from the direction of the outline that I prepared, and that's fine. Like, I want to be well prepared, but I'm happy to go with the flow. I actually talked to the Archon a bit afterwards and mentioned my disappointment with the Yahweh conclusion, and he said that he totally understands why I would feel that way, and it's very bittersweet because there is a lot of interesting and compelling information behind the why in choosing Yahweh that we didn't really get to, and I agree, that is bittersweet, but it's all right, it happens. Of course, we fit everything we could into the first hour, but we went much deeper in the Plus Show for those who like to get the full interviews and like to keep me employed. You miss a lot when you only hear the first free hour, and there are no breaks to sell you therapy sessions or athletic greens or any of that stuff. So I try to keep it action-packed either way. And this is a tangent, but I feel better than ever about the no-ads decision. There are two big stories right now about agencies that have screwed over podcasters and just kept the money after they read the ads. Plus, a lot of these products are turning out to be pretty lackluster. And podcasters will read you any ad as long as they get paid. And to me, that erodes the relationship. I don't want to abuse our relationship by just selling you any old thing except more of the show that you already like. Manscaped razors, trash, the lords and ladies of Ireland buy a square foot of land thing. That was exposed as a scam. And you can go watch nutritionalists break down what's in Athletic Greens or Prime. It seems like their claims are wildly over-exaggerated for what they are. Foam mattresses, not that great either. Yet these podcasters will say, I start every morning with Athletic Greens and I've never felt better. Or, I got a Satva mattress, and I'm getting the best sleep of my life. And these are just lies. And there should be some consequences. We just roll our eyes and let it happen, but I'm not into that. Blue chews and keeps these hair and dick pills. Who knows what else they do to the body over time? Has any podcaster even thought to ask about long-term studies or side effects before hawking this shit to their audience? Or do they just ask, how much are you going to pay me? seems like most people, podcasters, and their audiences just don't care. They see it as a necessary evil, but I'm trying to prove it's not necessary. And to me, integrity is important. So I think a 
second hour subscription is the best monetization method in podcasting for the kind of show that I do. I hope you guys agree and sign up to hear more seven day free trial to start you off in over a decade of archived episodes to dig into sign up right from the top link in your show notes or go through the Patreon to get THC plus on Spotify. Speaking of Patreon, the Archon also wanted me to emphasize that they have a lot of great content on their Patreon as well. Many years of the Greek dropping knowledge on a whole host of topics. I find them to be a pretty compelling speaker. And I've added a link to that if you want more from them as well. And that said, I'm still very busy at home, so I'm going to be quick with this. But let's look at the meetup calendar. September 22nd, we got a meetup in Alamosa, Colorado at the Purple Pig. Also September 22nd, a PlayStation virtual meetup. Interesting. September 24th, the Hurricane Club meeting at Made West Brewing in Ventura, California. September 29th, two pitchers brewing in Oakland. September 30th, a New Zealand meetup in Auckland. And also September 30th, the Columbia, Missouri Twin Lakes meetup in conjunction with the No Agenda listeners. Very cool. It is a great way to build your network on the sort of common ground that will be important going forward. Lots of lonely people out there. Well, do something about it. Make an event at a fun gathering place in your hometown. Support a local business. Give them a plug on the air and find the others. All totally available to you and free. Seems like a quadruple win if I've ever heard one. But that said, big thanks again to our guests. Check out GreekSpeakAndGodSpeak.com and their Patreon for more. And with that, I've done my part. Your move, ancient manipulators, spiritual puppet masters, and agents of the higher realms. Your fucking move. The truth has been hidden from me. Didn't believe it myself. Got lizard people on top of the world. And I wish it was somebody else. TV and obey Take some more pills when you're blue Or we'll break you out of the spell that you're in Together we will make it through Believe it or not, the truth is out there For people who have the eyes to see My favorite show
Yeah.